All right. And this episode of the Locked on NBA Big Board podcast, Leaf Tulane, the guy who watches more college basketball than anyone else, is going to drop off his top 10 NBA prospects, not only in college basketball, his top 10 NBA prospects in the world. You know, it's Leaf. So, you know, there's going to be something that's going to be a little bit different than the consensus. So find out which player made and which player missed Leaf's top 10. Stay tuned. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks allows first-time users to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That is PrizePicks.com promo code Locked On. I'm your host Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies, which is making a comeback very, very soon. I'm putting together a team of, of writers to share their, their draft thoughts and opinions. So be on the lookout for that. But my co-host for today is Leaf Tuling. Yesterday, Leaf made an excellent, excellent pitch for Gigi Jackson to the Jazz. Check out the prospect pitch series. It's something that I started a few weeks back. Basically just wanted to do something different, give guys an opportunity to Basically, pitcher prospect, I played the role of an NBA GM. But what made yesterday's episode special was Leaf covers the Jazz, and I actually had a team. So he was able to pitch me on a prospect and how this prospect would fit with a team. Fit with a team, And the prospect he pitched is Gigi Jackson, who I'm very, very biased towards anyway. So that was a fun episode. So check it out. But today's episode is about Leaf's top 10 and most top 10 big boards of mock drafts are very similar at the top at one and two. I mean, I haven't seen one that has a different top two. But let's see if Leaf is going to go against the consensus here. All right, so let's let's start off at let, we'll start off at number one. Who is the number one player? Uh, I'm going big... Victor Wenbanyama. I, oh uh, wow! Okay, what, what yeah, a no, this this little known French prospect. He's he's about seven foot five and really good defensively. Can shoot the lights out. So so the, not much of a sleeper there. With all with all kidding aside, um, he the the biggest concern I have for him is just longevity, which is unfair. It's just because the people who have shared similar body uh, metrics have had uh, injury marred careers. But I I don't want to disincentivize a team from taking him because if he's healthy, I do believe he's the best player. Yeah. I, um, you know, I had a chance to watch him live a few times and I'm just actually surprised that how much basketball he has played and how much basketball he is going to play before his first NBA game. There's a lot of talk about, Oh, he should shut it down. He has absolutely nothing to gain. And he's only playing once a week in the French league. And not only is he playing the French League, he's played in the, the FIBA World Cup qualifier. He's played in two rounds of that. And if everything goes according to plan for him and his team, they'll be in the French finals, which carries into late June, which means in the middle of the finals, he'd have to come over, hear his name called, shake hands with Adam Silver, catch a private plane back, finish the finals, 
that you know how the NBA schedule works. What seven to ten days after the NBA draft, there's summer league, which I can't imagine him playing a lot of time in summer league. But what could be very interesting is the World Cup is this summer. And I imagine he is going to be on France's World Cup team. If he's playing in the qualifiers, which aren't as important as the World Cup, then I imagine he's going to play in the World Cup, which means he's going to have an extremely short offseason. Now, what are your what are your thoughts on that? From a team's perspective, I don't love that he's getting play that's not for my team, and I'd be concerned. However, you've seen players, individual players, really b- benefit from the experience of being the man in those. For instance, the Jazz's Lowry Markkinen played for Finland, gained a new level of confidence by being the man, took it into the season. It's a candidate for the most improved player of the year and is a a first-time All-Star. Uh, I, I think there's a concern for the excess wear and tear on a, on a person's body who's so uniquely constructed, like – the most similar physical comparison to Victor Wembanyama is Ralph Sampson. Ralph Sampson had played four years of college, and he was a three-time All-American National Player of the Year type of player. And then he had four All-Star appearances for the Rockets, and and then his he had knee injuries. And so you, you worry about that, and you are drafting for the future when you're drafting number one overall. But it's hard to to really be mad at a guy for wanting to play for his country and really showing what he's made of and, and playing against legitimate competition as opposed to the summer league where I think he dominates. So there's, there's gives and takes. Yeah. And I think sometimes as an American, it can be a little hard for us to understand. I mean, I think we have country pride, but in other parts of the world, they really have country pride. Like we've heard of NBA players from different countries saying that the gold medal to them would be more important than winning an NBA championship. In America, that is just, you know what I mean? <laughs> we we don't care that JaVale McGee is a has a has a gold medal. We don't care that. I mean, I, I give you an example. I, I had a I had posted a picture of of Keldon Johnson. He's playing in and ones. And ones is, you know, the sneaker company that was hot in the 90s. I guess and one is coming back. And I posted a picture of him playing in and ones on, on one of my social medias. And people were like, who is that? And I said, that's Keldon Johnson. And there were guys that had no idea who Keldon Johnson was, and he represented Team USA. So that just shows how a lot of times Americans, we don't necessarily care about, I guess, the Olympics basketball because we're expected to win, right? We think whoever lineup we throw out there is going to win. But in other countries, plan for your country, I mean, it, it's really a situation that puts teams in this crazy predicament because – Yes, if a guy gets hurt playing for his home country, then you're still on the hook for paying him. But how do you tell a guy, no, you can't represent your home country? So uh, that's going to be interesting, especially if he does play in the World Cup, which, again, if he's playing in the qualifiers in the middle of the season, I imagine he's going to be on that team. And then, of course, France down the line wants to win gold medals. And so the you know, the the more he's involved and implemented in their program, playing next to Gobert, then the better their future is because France is a country that thinks that they can win a gold medal soon. I, I know they won the World Cup in, 
2019, I was actually there, and that was a game where Frank Nilakina outplayed Kimba Walker. <laughs> so anyway, all right, number two. Who is number two on your list of the top 10 NBA prospects in the world? We used to be able to say college basketball, but now we have to say in the world. I've got Scoot Henderson, who is as close to a premier, premier athlete guard as Derrick Rose or I guess I ruined it. I was going to say the premier athlete since Derrick Rose and Derrick Rose, for those of you who, who are watching now or maybe newer to basketball, uh, Derrick Rose came into the league after one year at Memphis in which he took a Memphis team that was talented, but not super talented to a national championship where they were just beaten by a Mario Chalmers equalizer, sent it to overtime in Kansas one in 2008 came to the NBA one rookie of the year. And then won an MVP two years after that at 22 years old. He, and his injuries, everyone knows about that. But I, I really do not think it's hyperbole to say that the explosiveness that Scoot Henderson demonstrates in the body he has is is very comparable to Derrick Rose's. And, and we haven't seen that since. Are there any concerns about his finishing at the rim? Uh, not really. I, I, I think, I think he'll be able to figure out how to finish at the rim. Uh, I think he's, and and I'll say that I've said this before. I said this about Blake, Blake Wesley last year. Um, if you can get to the rim, uh, I think you, and you get there at, with the ease in which that he did. And, and certainly Scoot Anderson does, you'll figure out how to finish. And I, I think he's going to be a very good NBA finisher and he's going to put significant pressure on defenses at the rim. Shout out to Blake. I just talked to him last week when he was in town to play the Mavs. But back to Scoop, what if I told you he has the same field goal percentage at the rim as Sharif Cooper? Does that bother you? Yes, but I I think that he's going to find a way to put the same pressure on the rim and then add some guile to his game. Right now, it's pure, unadulterated aggression and I think sometimes that leads to a little bit of out of control uh, finishes. I think he'll find a way to similar to the way John Morant has just put the pressure on the rim and extend and finish. And, and I think almost he goes too hard to the rim at sometimes. And I know that sounds stupid, but it's, it's a nitpick that I almost am happy about because you can, you can wash that out of the game, out of his game a little bit, add some guile. And now you have this explosion with craftiness. And so I do not remain horribly bothered. I think that stat is, is peculiar though because you couldn't really find too many more different archetypes of athletes for the point guard position. And just to piggyback on that, I feel like with John ja Morant, because he is so athletic and so reckless and going to the rim, I wonder how much of that is going to take a toll on his body down the line. I mean, the NBA is not as physical as it was. There's more floor spacing. But man, his assaults to the rim are just—I mean, I mean, it's it's acrobatic. But I know he's taking a lot of a, a lot of punishment. All right, when we return, we'll talk about who is the third prospect because this is where it can get really interesting. For the most part, one and two are the same, but at three, it gets a little different. Then as you get down to four or five, then it's a wide range of guys. But we'll find out who is number three on Leafs Big Board after we talk about prize picks because prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. And if you are interested in prize picks, I'll give you the details. You pick two to six players and you 
pick if they will score more or less than your prize picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. I have a buddy of mine. He literally posts on his Instagram stories every day his earnings and how much he's winning. He is addicted to prize picks. And what it is is you're not competing against other people. It is just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, college basketball for men's and women's, Euro basketball, boxing, they even have cricket. And the entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. It has safe and fast withdrawals. And it is currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the Prize Pick app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up for daily fantasy sports. If you're a first time user, you can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you 100. If you deposit 50, Prize Picks will give you 50. So do not forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, second segment. Leaf had Victor Wimbayama number one, Scoot Henderson number two, no surprise. Number three, this is where a lot of people's big boards differ. I have Brandon Miller at number three on mine, which doesn't matter because this is your big board. So who's number three on your list? I've got Amon Thompson. Mm-hmm. I, it's This is the most difficult evaluation for me is, is he and Osar Thompson because I just don't know what to make of the competition they're facing. But what I can see with my eyes, despite competition, is elite athleticism on the part of Amon Thompson that that translates to any level. He's a he's a just about one percent athlete, even at the NBA level. Puts relentless pressure on the rim, and you see a knack for passing. And and even if it's uh, against inferior athletes or inferior competition, you can see the the way he's geared. The fact that when he gets to the paint, he wants to pass. He wants to make players better defensively. I think he can be a terror. And we we just spoke about uh, Gigi Jackson uh, the other day in an episode that was released. And I talked about traits a lot. And I think he's a guy with supreme traits. And if you're banking on a guy that can alter the tra- the trajectory of your franchise, I think Osar, uh, Amen Thompson, excuse me, has those traits that can make your franchise really, really improve and be a stalwart in whatever conference you're in as a contender for years and years to come. Like John Morant is is someone who's often tossed around for Osar Thompson or Amen Thompson. Mm-hmm. They they often say like, oh, he's a six seven jaw, and I don't know if that's necessarily true. But think of the the parallels. Jaw has made the Grizzlies extremely relevant, extremely quickly. They play hard. He puts relentless pressure on the rim. Amen Thompson's going to be a far better defender than Jaw. I, I think that he, despite his shooting lack of prowess, he'll be competent down the road in his career. And he's going to put relentless pressure on the rim, relentless ball pressure as a defender. And I really do buy the creation for others as well as himself just by putting, uh, getting to the nail and creating. All right, so I'm going to ask you this question for the remainder of the prospects. If Amon Thompson maximizes his potential, what is he? In terms of accolades? Yeah, like what, what type of player is he? Is he a franchise guy? Is he a you know, 20 and 10 and 5 guy? What do you think he is if he absolutely maximizes everything? 
I think he's a perennial all-star that can contend for all NBA nominations and a guy that I think could be in the, in the running for defensive player of the year type of stuff. Okay. I, I really, I really think, and well, that's, that, that's very high praise and I'm not sure that's the case, but if he absolutely maximizes, which was the question, I, I think he's capable of doing that. Okay. If he doesn't maximize, what would be the reason that, I mean, of course, you can't predict what happens off the court. I mean, you know, you give guys millions of dollars as, at a young age. It's common for, for some guys to, to relax a little bit. But if, if he doesn't maximize his potential, what would be the thing that you believe would be is what holds him back? I think shooting's the easiest thing to point out. I, I would say that I don't think he'll ever be a great shooter, but I think he can become competent. Uh, I would say the the biggest one that would concern me is if he's not a good pick and roll point guard, and and he's you know good at creating advantages off rips and and using spurts and speed, but he doesn't have the the guile, the change of pace that good pick and roll point guards have in an era that's really pick and roll dependent, and and larger wings are starting to you know equally share ball handling opportunities. Then he becomes off ball too often, and so I would say if he's not a good pick and roll point guard. Or and by good I mean very good pick and roll point guard, and he has other players on his team that are good with the ball. Then he gets uh, put on to being a two at times, and I think that's where the deficiencies show. Okay, all right, number four. Number four has been my number four since July. Brandon Miller. I I tried to to pitch him to a couple people back in July, and and I used a comparison of Paul George that my my friend Tony Jones mentioned to me immediately. And I said, I'm not sure he's the athlete Paul George is, but he's got the basketball ability. When the ball's in his hands, he's got the same moves and demeanor. He's able to take those shots. He's a tough shot taker, and he's a tough shot maker. And you and I had a discussion back in July when I was uh, trying to sell him to you, and and, and you brought up a very valid question. It's like he takes a lot of tough contested shots. Like, does that concern you? And I said, not really because he can make them, and he's got this – unmitigated confidence that he's he's going to be able to hit these shots and you've seen him develop more of a handle improve defensively really be a good rebounder show that he's a better athlete than i anticipated still not of the level of prime paul george like indiana paul george was a phenomenal athlete but he's able to create space both going to the rim and shooting jump shots great catch and shoot shooter and he and he's shooting the lights out i think that the fact that he's really spearheading probably the best team in the nation also really encourages me because he's shown ability to be unselfish and impact the game just with his presence and not force things. And then he's able to take these shots that we both deem. Uh, I don't know. Should he take that? And then they go in and you're like, okay, yeah. And, and that was something we both agreed about with Paolo Bancaro is like, does he take the best shots from a textbook? No, but does he take the good shots that are good shots for him? Yes, because he can make them. And that's how I feel about Brandon Miller. And you know, I, I feel like, the shot selection hasn't been bad. It's been better than I thought, and that's because they've pretty much eliminated eliminated his mid-range contested pull-up. So he's shooting a lot of threes. But the numbers, I mean, 47% from the floor, 42% from three, 84% from the line, rounded up to 20 points, eight rebounds per game. I mean, almost a block and a steal per game. Easily the best player in college basketball, in my opinion. All right, so if Brandon Miller maximizes his potential, what is he? And if he does not, what would be the biggest holdback? 
Okay, this is an interesting comparison. I think he's a blend of two Indiana Pacer wings, Paul George okay. and Danny Granger. Okay. I think Paul George is a better player than Danny Granger, but Miller's athletic profile reminds me more of uh, of Danny Granger in terms of the shot selection he'll have in the NBA than what Paul jo- when it, what Paul George was able to do. Because when he was at Indiana, he was able to put relentless pressure on the rim. I think Brandon Miller is more going to be a mid-range catch-and-shoot guy who's going to be dominant at it. And, and a lot of people will liken that to Middleton or something, and I have no issue with that. So to me, that's a, a multi-time all-star. The reason I don't think his ceiling is as high as Osar Thompson is because He'll be, uh, sorry, Amon Thompson. Jeez Louise. Uh, Amon Thompson, to me, is is a guy who can put that pressure on the rim, score for himself and others. I don't think Miller's ever going to be able to create for others, nor be the quite the defender that Amon Thompson is. So that's why I have him three. But the, the margin between three and four, despite being a full number different, is very, very thin. And, and Raphael can attest, I, I've had Brandon Miller four the entire process. So I, I think that he's improved but I just haven't moved him up that slot because I remain steadfast in my belief that Amon Thompson is going to be an immediate contributor and really have a high ceiling. Yeah. I like the Danny Granger comparison. And I mean, I know, I know you're a young guy, but Danny Granger was in his prime when you were a little dude. <laughs> and he had a couple I've been, years. I've been where... watching ball since I've been four. Like, I, I see. I, I see. Yeah. yeah. Cause Granger had a 25 point season a 24 point season. I mean, it, it, it's sad that he's kind of forgotten in a sense because it's like year four and five, he was at his peak, and then it, it was just never the same after that. Now, last thing, if Brandon Miller does not maximize, what would be that reason? I think that his athleticism is good but not great, and I think in times when you're a premier wing all of them are superb athletes and or have a trait that makes them extremely different. The, the superb athletes being LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, uh, Jason Tatum's even a pretty close to a really good athlete, like really, really good athlete. But even if you don't count him as that, there's a Kevin Durant type of guy that just has a trait that you can't teach. He's seven feet tall with a handle and jump shot that are uh, amongst the best ever. So Brandon Miller to me, is good in a lot of categories, but not great in terms of athletic testing. And I think that sometimes that can be a deficiency that leads to like, and the way he shoots the ball, like he shoots the ball very, very well. And he shoots a lot of not necessarily difficult shots the way Alabama plays. But I think if you're going to put him into a role in the NBA that you want your number four pick or your top five pick to be as the main option of your team, that means he's going to take a lot of difficult shots. And I don't know if he creates the same level of separation as you would say, a couple of these other guys that I've mentioned, like those premier wings, and you're trying to draft a premier wing in a wing driven league right now. So that would be my argument for if he were to have a deficiency, that would be the most likely. I think he's one of the safest guys simply because even if the athleticism doesn't translate in the ball handling, the shooting should. And yeah, I think I buy the shooting. Yeah. With his size and the shooting, at the very minimum, he is a starter, floor spacer. So I think he's one of the safest guys. All right, we've only covered four prospects, so we got to get <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in the last segment. But let's talk about Built Bar because I know you want to eat healthy. I know you want to eat better. And a lot of times when you want to eat healthy, the food is pretty bland, right? That's why Built Bar gives you the opportunity to eat healthy 
and it doesn't compromise the taste. And that's because Built Bars are tasty. They are 100% real chocolate. Again, they are covered with 100% real chocolate. They come in flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, coconut, almond. I have no idea how they do it, but they make it healthy and they make it tasty. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. Now, you used to only be able to get a Built Bar when you went to Built.com. You just have to wait for it to come. But now, you can get them at your local Walmart. Just go to the pharmacy section and you can grab a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, you can get a 13-bar box of flavors like brownie batter and churro. Or you can just go to Built.com. All right, last segment. We've had, we've covered Victor Wimbayama, Scoot Henderson, Amon Thompson at three, Brandon Miller at number four. I have no idea who's number five on your list. So I'm curious to hear, because this is where I think it gets tricky because I feel like one and two are pretty much locks. Three and four have been interchangeable for the most part. But who you have at five, there's probably people that have this guy at like 10 and, and vice versa. So who is number five on your list? I've got Osar Thompson. I, oh, I think you. that he's a guy that, possesses obviously a lot of the same traits traits as his twin brother um and i almost think that he's a guy that's being slept on because he plays the two guard and he, and you know two is a synonymous like shooting guard and people think like man he must shoot the lights out to play a two i think there's a chance that he gets drafted and he gets moved to the one and you see a lot of the same traits that osar has uh that osar has that are that are hidden that are evident in Amon's game and what I mean by that is, can he put pressure on the rim and be a very good passer? I believe he can. Defensively, I think he's a terror. I think right now he might even be a better defender than his twin brother. And uh, shooter. His shot, and shooter, yeah. And, and, and that's where I was going. And, and his shot has flashes of being competent and maybe even better than competent if you're to give him the NBA training. Like you've seen guys like Herb Jones. This is one of my favorite stats. His junior year <laughs> at Alabama, he shot 7%. And then he shot 38% as a rookie for the New Orleans Pelicans. So I believe that athleticism is going to translate and shooting can be taught and not vice versa. So he's a guy that I'm buying the traits. I'm buying the, the swing skills. And I think that there's a sleeper potential with him that he can be a one, even though everyone considers him a two or a three. I agree. You know, in my last top 10, um, because I moved Gigi Jackson up, he was the one that fell out <laughs> and I went to this, I spoke at this conference this weekend and I ran into multiple people from OTE. And so they actually were in talks about having, um, you know, some of the, the higher ups in OTE come on the podcast and basically just give people a different view of OTE. I mean, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about OTE and um, especially with, you know, the age and the competition. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I don't have the two of their top guys. I have Amin at number four, but I have Osar at number 11. And my concern, my personal concern is if he goes to a situation similar to like Denny Avdia, where he goes to a team and they have two other guys that are like ball handlers and the team just sticks them in the corner, then you're not maximizing his skill set. 
And, and so I think fit is going to be really important for him. I mean, that's, I mean, that's not saying much because fit is important for everybody, but my fear is he goes to, I don't know. Let's say he goes to Orlando, right? Yeah. He might like be in the corner. Either. If he goes to OKC, he is he going to handle the ball? If he goes to the Pelicans, is he going to have a lot of ball handling duties, right? If he goes to Portland, is he going to have ball handling? So fit is going to be important. All right, so number six. Who is number six on your list? This is a guy that I think the more and more I look at other tra- people's mock drafts which, uh, and big boards, I see him falling, but I don't see why, and that's Cam Whitmore. Cam Whitmore, to me, is a prototype for what you want in today's NBA, a hyper-athletic wing with the ability to shoot the ball both off the catch and off the bounce. He His debating deficiencies for me is he like premeditates. If he's going right, he's going to shoot a layup. If he goes left, he's shooting a jump shot. And I think that's very fixable. And I also think playing at Villanova right now may hurt his draft stock, but help him in the long run because he's learning the way to play the game. Like a lot of Villanova players with inferior athleticism have made long careers based off fundamentals. Cam Whitmore is a phenomenal athlete. They said that he laps when they run uh, five up and backs. And so basically 10 lengths of the court, he finishes his 10th by the time everyone else finishes their ninth. And and I, I think that if you visualize that and if, if everyone's played basketball listening or, or, you know, any sport, when you run those, those are exhausting. The fact that as a freshman, you're lapping your, your teammates and his, and you can see that athleticism pop off the screen. Like he goes up to the lane with ferocity and he's got this shooting touch that I really do buy, even though he shoots a couple difficult ones, I think it's because he can make them. I think he can be taught, Hey, what's a good shot. What's a bad shot for you. And he's also got the ability to create a lot of things that I don't think many people have the physical traits to do. Yeah. I think he'll look better in NBA spacing. My concern is he has a significant amount of games under double figures. I know at one point, 10 of his 21 games, he scored less than 10 points. Now he did have, he has two back-to-back games of over double figures, 11 points, 17 points. But before that, seven points, nine points. Then it was a 17 point game, 12 point game. Then he had two games under 10, you know, score 21, you know, score five. So I would like to see him be a little bit more consistent, but I, I get it. I mean, I think with NBA spacing and with his strength, he's going to be able to put a lot of pressure on the rim. All right. Number seven. Number seven for me is Deontay George, who I, the more I watch him, the more I think a comparison I threw out went because of being unprepared. I did a podcast with Sam and he asked me for a comp and I wasn't ready. And I was like, man, who does your mind me of uh, Jamal Murray. And the more I think about that, I think their body types are similar. Their shooting touch and their functional athleticism. None of them are going to be popping out of the gym saying, wow, did you see that guy's 48 inch vertical? That's not Keontae George. That's not Jamal Murray, but are they going to go to the rim and dunk? Yes. Are they going to be very good free throw shooters, guys? You can shoot off the catch, off the off the bounce, run, pick and roll, and, and be a threat to score as well as be an okay, maybe even to above average facilitator down the road. I, I believe so. So I I really I really do think that people are enamored by athleticism, and I am, but you've got to watch the skill and functionality of athleticism. And I think Keontae George is a guy who really exemplifies the nice comp combination of both. 
I got another comparison. I see some of his game as far as just how when he shoots it, every shot looks like it's going in. It's not the case. I mean, he's under 40% from the floor, which is mind boggling because his shot looks as pure as, as pure can be. But I see some similarities to Devin Booker. Devin Booker is not like a phenomenal athlete. Devin Booker is probably a better shooter. And he, he I mean, he had a, a, a smaller role at Kentucky. But Booker can come off screens. Booker can play in pick and rolls. And that's just my opinion. I think he he has a little bit of Devin Booker in his game. All right, number, where are we at? Number eight? Eight, yep. Eight oh. for me is G.G. Jackson. And I, I just really buy... Long story short, as, as many of you would have heard me from yesterday, uh, Gigi Jackson is a guy who has all the traits up the wazoo. He's got an immense usage rate um, at South Carolina, and some of those uh, efficiency numbers aren't great, but the the chances created are very impressive to me. He's someone that I can't unsee what he's able to create without much help, and I think if he goes into the right system, he's got a chance to be an, a longtime all-star player with – unbelievable athletic ability with shot making to boot. Yeah, I'm high on Gigi. And on my list, I also had him at number eight. You talked about Gigi at length in a whole 35 minute episode. So check it out. Prospect pitch. Leaf talks about Gigi Jackson. All right. Number nine. Number nine for me is Jerace Walker. I, I just love what he does for a winning team. And I imagine if he were on a team that needed him to score more that he can because of the way he's able to score efficiently and aptly. Like, And what I mean by that is he doesn't force anything, and he does it for the betterment of the team. So I think immediately in the NBA role, he'll be able to carry the same role he carries on a very good Houston team as a secondary option to score, a very good defender, a very good rebounder, and someone that's got a budding emergence in the passing game like uh, he, he's able to pass and create for others in a way that very few freshmen are especially on very good teams and uh, i just think he's a holistically well-rounded player all right so this is where it gets interesting so i did my top 10 and my top 10 was victor Wimbayama, scoot henderson brandon miller amon thompson keontae george I actually had Keontae George at number four. I had Jairus Walker, six. I had Nick Smith, seven. Gigi Jackson, eight. Cam Whitmore, nine. And I had Anthony Black, number 10. So right now, ours are very similar, except you have Asur Thompson. I don't. So now, who is the person that cracks your top 10? And then we'll talk about the biggest omission out of your top 10. I, I have a Arkansas Razorback, not both, mm. but uh, I've got Anthony Black. Okay. Um, and Anthony Black, every time I watch him, he impacts every single possession, offensively and defensively. He puts pressure on the rim. He gets to the nail at will, even on a team that is horrible shooting the ball. He's got very good vision. He has a few more turnovers than I'd like, but I think it comes from a a good source of creativity that with NBA spacing would look like great looks. And you'd be like, man, look at the vision. And shooting the ball, his release is not beautiful, but his touch is okay. He, he needs to work on a floater. He puts force in the room and defensively hounds people. His length at a, as a point of attack defender shows versatility. 
And for teams with, with diminutive point guards uh, or shooting guards, I should say, he can be a guy who defends the bigger guards and plays the one unselfishly. And I think for him, fit will matter, but I really buy his translation for just being an impactful player, possession in, possession out. So Mike Jones, who's a faithful listener, he's going to have a lot of words in the comments section because he is like incredibly high on Nick Smith. He thinks Nick Smith is better than Scoot Henderson. And when you have, when he finds out that you don't have Nick Smith in your top 10, he's going to have a lot to say. And that's why I, I love this space. He's 11, so don't don't fret too much. Okay. <laughs> so for me, the guy that was left off was Arsar. And then um, obviously, Casey Wallace, Grady Dick, those guys um, just avoided, uh, you know, my top 10. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. This is Leafs top 10 players or top 10 prospects in the world. Thank you so much for making the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. Now, for your second listen, you have to check out the Locked On Game to Game Podcast. Every game, every top performance from game to game on the Locked On NBA Big Board channel. I'm sorry, the Locked On NBA channel. So check it out, Locked On Game to Game. 